listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door, and he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves. And he said to them, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk? But so that you may know that the the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And thank you for that reading, Barb. Uh, So before we dig in uh, to our scripture passage for today, just a heads up, um, I'm going to be on vacation for the next two weeks. Um, Some of you know this already. A lot of folks have been asking me if I'm I'm, like ready to go. Someone spoke to me in French today. Uh, Aaron and I are heading to Paris. Um, This is our much delayed 10-year anniversary trip. It was supposed to happen in in May of 2020, but uh, you know, we booked everything. Everything was ready to go. We saved for like five years. And then this happened, so we had to, we had to delay it. Um, but we rescheduled things, we booked new flights, we are going. Uh, France is like 90% vaccinated, so I'm feeling pretty good about this. I'm pumped. Um, <clears throat> but I want to give everyone a heads up that I'm going to be gone, because it's not often that I'm away for two whole weeks. 
And, like, our phones aren't even going to work over there, so we will be, like, gone, gone. Um, But if any, like, pastoral emergencies come up while I'm away, uh, reach out to the church. Pastor Alicia is going to be holding down the fort while I'm gone, and she will also be filling the pulpit for the next two weeks, which is going to be awesome. And I know, I know when Dan is on vacation, a lot of us think that we can just kind of skip church, but you don't want to do that this time around because you don't want to miss Alicia. When she preaches, it's awesome, and she's going to be continuing in the Gospel of Mark, so don't miss it. With that disclaimer out of the way, let's talk about the healing of the paralytic. This is a classic Sunday school story. How many people have heard this one before? How many of us are familiar with this? That's just about all of us. Um, You know the one about the guys who bring their paralyzed friend to see Jesus so he can get healed, but they can't get in because there's too many people, so they climb up on the roof and they make a little hole and they drop them down. Most of us are pretty familiar with this one. It's a classic. This is like vintage Jesus. If you've ever seen like a Jesus movie or even like a Jesus cartoon for kids, I think we've got a cartoon uh, picture somewhere in here. Next slide. Um, There we go. If you ever see like a Jesus cartoon for kids, like you've seen this story before. It's a classic one. I remember when I was a kid, um, they used flannel graphs to teach us this story. Does anyone remember flannel graphs? Am I dating myself? Okay, a few of us. Um, Flannel graphs were these little strips of cloth that had Bible characters printed on them, and they'd stick them to like a flannel background, and they'd act out the stories. I've got a picture. Here we go. Um, this, is, this is what I'm talking about. You've got, you've got Jesus there talking. You've got the crowd. The house is represented by this uh, little black box. It's pretty crowded in there. Um, then it looks like the kids made um, a mat for the paralytic out of like popsicle sticks and strings, which is adorable. Um, he's really happy for some reason. <laughs> Uh, he also kind of looks like a leprechaun. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe this was like an Irish Sunday school. I have, I have no idea. This is one of those classic Sunday school stories. You probably know this one from when you were a kid. Um, and if you didn't grow up in church, if you don't know this story, that actually gives you a little bit of an advantage over the rest of us because you can hear this story with fresh ears. See, the rest of us have heard this one so many times, we kind of miss how freaking weird it is, right? This is a weird story, you guys. For one, it starts with an act of vandalism, right? Like, destruction of private property. No one ever points that out. (laughs) Um, Sorry, I was going to make another joke, but it wouldn't have been appropriate. It starts with an act of vandalism. Let's just say, like, good thing that this didn't happen in Texas. It would have been a very different series of events that probably would have followed. Um, But then, Jesus sees this guy on the mat, and he doesn't say, like, what can I do for you? How can I help you? Can I heal you? Nothing normal like that. Jesus' response is, your sins are forgiven. That's kind of weird, Like, I've never let off with that in, like, a hospital visit, right? Like, sorry about what you're going through. Your sins are forgiven. That probably wouldn't go over very well. Um, It also mentions Jesus forgives this guy after seeing the faith of his friends. That's not how forgiveness works, right? That's a little strange. And then Jesus heals this guy, which sparks a theological debate with a bunch of religious scholars who are in the room, And then Jesus starts referring to himself in the third person as the Son of Man. I don't remember any of that from the flannel graph. This is a weird story. 
So let's dig into this one, uh, this story that perhaps we don't know quite as well as we remember. Um, And let's reread the first part of the story, Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, just so it's nice and fresh. When Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in the front of the door, and he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after having dug through it, they let the mat down on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Just to do a bit of a recap, um, when we last saw Jesus in our reading from last week, um, he was leaving Capernaum to go out to the surrounding cities and preach the good news. Mark doesn't give us any of that story. Like, we have no idea how that went, which is frustrating if you're me. (laughs) But then, um, now we're told that some time has passed, Jesus is back in town, and when the people find out that he's home, he gets mobbed. So many people show up to the house where he's staying that the crowd spills onto the street. Then we get these four people who show up carrying their uh, paralyzed friend. But the house is too crowded, they can't get to Jesus, so they climb up on the roof, they commit their act of vandalism, they lower him down on the mat, and the text tells us that when Jesus saw their faith, that is, when he saw the faith of the friends who did all this, who carried their friend up and made the hole in the roof, When he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Notice the text doesn't say anything about the faith of the paralyzed man. He could have been a person of strong faith who maybe begged his friends to take him to see Jesus so he could be healed. Um, Maybe he used to be a person of faith, um, and with all his suffering and things like that, maybe his, his faith has waned. Maybe the guy never had faith to begin with. We don't know because the text doesn't say. What it says is that Jesus saw the faith of the friends. He saw the extent they were willing to go, and because of that, he forgave the sins of the paralyzed man. Now, I want you to imagine that you're a religious scholar sitting in the room. You might have a few questions. First, the obvious one, how does this guy get forgiven based on his friend's faith? Like, how does that work? Someone else's faith isn't supposed to save you. Jesus is our personal Lord and Savior. If you want forgiveness, you have to ask for it. You have to repent of your own sins. What is Jesus thinking? Don't you hate it when you read the Bible and it just wrecks your theology? It's like the worst. Again, there's a lot we don't know here. Um, We don't know about the heart of this paralyzed man. We don't know what Mark's leaving out of the story. Maybe there's more to it. We're not sure. Um, We should be cautious before we make any huge, like, conclusions from this. But I do think this is a story that points us to the communal nature of faith. We live in a pretty radically individualistic society, an individualistic culture. We see this in our media, 
We see it in our technology. We see it in how we parent and raise children. And the church has really followed the culture on this one. We've turned our faith from a communal thing that we do together to a personal thing, an individual thing, maybe even like a private thing. But sometimes faith has to be communal. I think about my kids and how like Aaron and I are trying to model faith for them trying to take them through it, show them what it looks like, hoping that we can instill them with enough foundation of faith that they can build on that as adults. We do that when we read Bible stories to them or when we pray around the dinner table, when we bring them to church. We do that um, around holidays like Christmas and Easter with all the rituals and traditions. My kids don't know what half that stuff means. Like, Zeke is not going to stand up here and deliver a treatise on prayer, although that would probably be hilarious. (laughs) But... But we do it to model faith for them because faith is a communal thing. We do it because they're not ready to do it on their own. And honestly, I'm not sure if any of us are. There's going to be times in life when your faith runs out. There's going to be times when, the, when life kicks the crap out of you, and the last thing you're going to want to hear is some hymn or a praise song or some fluffy talk about God. And in those moments, in those seasons, we need the faith of our friends. We need the faith of others. We need a community. We need a church that can walk alongside us, carry us if necessary, even believe for us when our faith runs dry. Jesus sees something of that in these four friends, and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Which raises a follow-up question. Because remember, in this analogy, you're the religious experts in the room. What does being paralyzed have to do with sin? Like, why is that the opening line? Your sins are forgiven? To understand this, you have to know a little something about the uh, ancient Jewish context. There were different perspectives on this sort of thing, even in Jesus' day, but the general assumption back then was that if you had some kind of infirmity, some kind of physical defect, um, if you were paralyzed or blind or if you couldn't walk or if you got really, really sick, the general assumption was that it was a punishment. God wouldn't just do these things randomly, right? So clearly you must have sinned. You must have sinned and screwed something up. And if you're paralyzed, well, you must have sinned pretty bad. Of course, we don't think like that anymore. (laughs) Right? I like that some of you are laughing. You get it. Um, Some churches do, right? A lot of churches do. Um, If you're like a hardcore Calvinist and you believe that everything that happens was predetermined by God, you might still think like this. Um, Even outside the church, we hear people talking about, like, bad juju and karma, you know, something, something goes wrong, and it's like, I must have done something terrible in a past life. There's something very human about this way of thinking. We need some kind of an explanation for our suffering, some kind of reason, and the reason we usually turn to is that it's our fault. I must have done something wrong. They must have done something wrong. 
We do this in our own country all the time when we talk about the poor, like it's their fault. It's not my problem they're poor. Let them get a job, right? It's the same impulse, the same spirit. We are just so affluent that we now treat poverty like some sort of physical defect or deformity. If you're the religious expert and you see a paralyzed man being lowered from the ceiling, your, your immediate thought is going to be sinner. So Jesus, knowing his audience, leads off by saying, your sins are forgiven. Let's see how the actual religious experts uh, respond. Verse 6. <clears throat> now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves, and he said to them, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Awesome story, right? Like, amazing. This is a great story. This is why this is in all the cartoons and all the Jesus movies. This is a story that practically preaches itself. The religious experts object to Jesus forgiving this guy. So he's like, what's harder? To say you're forgiven or to say get up and walk? So he tells him to get up and walk, and he does it, and the religious experts look like fools awesome story. This, by the way, is the first of many times Jesus is going to square off with the religious authorities. That's going to be sort of a theme in Mark's gospel. Um, Jesus is going to one-up these people over and over and over again, um, and eventually that's going to get him killed. That's where all this is going. Jesus is going to one-up the wrong people, the wrong number of times. He's going to tick off the powerful people, and it's going to land him on a cross. We've covered a lot of the strange aspects in this familiar story, but there's one more. Do we have time for one more? Can I do one more weird thing in this story to talk about? I think I've got permission, which is good, because I have nothing else ready to go. So let's, <laughs> let's talk about this. Uh, one more weird thing. <clears throat> What's up with Jesus calling himself the Son of Man? Like, what's that about? Verse 10. <clears throat> but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Who is the Son of Man? Like, what does that even mean? Where does this come from? This is the first time Jesus uses that title. Son of Man actually becomes the title he uses most frequently to refer to himself. But what does it actually mean? Does anyone remember back in the spring when we did our little series on the book of Daniel? Is anyone here for that? Does anyone, like, does that 
resonate at all? Okay, some of us. Daniel's a pretty weird book. Uh, The first half of the book of Daniel is basically a bunch of classic Sunday school stories, um, usually about people being thrown into things like lion's dens and furnaces, really good kid stuff. Um, And then the second half of the book reads like a fever dream, right? It's all these trippy visions and dreams that Daniel has. The Son of Man comes from the weird part of the book. Daniel has this dream in chapter 7 where he sees all these beasts, these monsters rising out of the sea one after another. And when they come out, they make a mess of things. They do violence, they kill people, they destroy. And we're told that these four beasts represent all the imperial powers in the world that oppress people and destroy creation. And just then, when all hope seems lost, the heavens open, and seated on the throne of God in the heavens, Daniel sees one like a son of man, a human being, who comes down to pass judgment on the beasts and set the people free. And it's hard to see in this artistic uh, depiction, that's why I put this little arrow in, but um, this artist has chosen to depict the Son of Man as a baby wearing a crown who's wrestling a bear, (laughs) which is amazing, by the way. Um, It's a pretty wild dream. But this is where the phrase, the title, Son of Man, comes from. It's the title of the divine Savior in the book of Daniel, who comes to liberate the people from the beasts. Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, which raises a really important question. If Jesus is the Son of Man, who are the beasts? What does Jesus come to liberate us from? There's a lot of different ways we could probably answer that question. There are multiple different beasts, even in Daniel's vision. But in this story, the healing of the paralytic, who is Jesus facing off with? The religious leaders, right? In this story, if Jesus is the Son of Man, then the beast who is enslaving the people are the religious leaders and all the religious structures that they represent. We could say that in this story, the beast is religion itself. Now, I'm a fan of religion. Don't get me wrong. Um, Religion, when it's like doing its thing on all cylinders, when it looks like Jesus, religion can be amazing. Religion can be one of the most powerful forces for good in the world. But when it's not, when religion starts telling people that their suffering is their fault, Uh, When religion starts making excuses for unjust systems and rulers, when religion looks at someone who's hurting and lost hope and it brands them a sinner, religion can be a monster. And it's in those instances that Jesus is the Son of Man who comes to save us from religion itself. On Tuesday nights here at church, we've been having our Color of Compromise study. About 16 of us are getting together every week, and we're reading this book um, about the history of racism in the American church. Um, It's a really good book. It's been a really challenging read um, because this is a hard history 
to stomach. Throughout our history, there have been Christians on the wrong side of, of this, of race, of justice. Um, there were Christians who were colonizers, Christians who used the Bible to defend slavery, Christians who owned slaves. And yet somehow, in the midst of all that mess, in the midst of all that terrible history, you also see as kind of like a, like a subplot the emergence of the black church. That's also part of this book. Enslaved Africans who rejected the religion of their masters, but who somehow found Jesus anyway. You see examples from history of slaves who teach themselves how to read in secret. They weren't allowed to do that so that they could read the Bible. I didn't even know this uh, until I read the book, but some of the first Christians to be persecuted for their faith on American soil were slaves who had to meet in secret, usually under the cover of darkness, to worship God and tell Bible stories to each other. Even though Christians stole them from their homes and enslaved them here in the Americas, there was something about Jesus that these enslaved people found liberating. They saw the Son of Man who came to rescue them from the beast. That's where the black church was born. And I don't know your history. I don't know the story of like every single person in this room and everyone watching online, but I know a lot of us are carrying trauma from past experiences with religion, with church. There are a number of us who have been hurt by the beast of religion in this room. And I can't promise you that this church is always going to get it right. We've been complicit in too many ways. We are still discovering all the evils that we are blind to. But what I can promise is that Jesus is the Son of Man who comes to set us free. And that goes for whatever is causing us harm. Whether it's sin, or death, or injustice, or abuse, sometimes even religion itself. Don't put your faith in a church. Don't put your faith in a system or a religion. Don't put your faith in a religious leader. Please don't put your faith in me. I'm going to be gone for the next two weeks anyway. <laughs> put your faith in Jesus, and he will never let you down. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for sending your son into the world. We thank you for sending Jesus to heal us, to forgive us, and to set us free. God, help us to be a church, a community that looks like Jesus. Help us in every aspect of our lives, in our worship, in our fellowship, in our conversations, in everything we do to follow the Son of Man who liberates and not the beast who destroys. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. 
You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.